0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Mel Bartz, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now, the headphones in your ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest. Coming to you from the steel city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Chad Robinson. How you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Feeling up to some heisting tonight.
0: All right. Well, from deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Dustin Melbaris is going to be joining us here.
2: Good evening, chaps. Ready for a good bit of podcasting?
0: That's right. There's nothing more British than somebody from Texas. So, thank you.
2: yippee ki eh?
1: I feel well, like you're it's... slipping into Australian there.
0: I, I like it. I just keep going let's 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 see what comes of this would you say that
2: australian in general is just a a texan british accent there's got to be something there
1: that yeah that maybe that tracks
2: so we're covering a movie today
0: with a beloved old lady acting performance and i want to ask you guys what is an old lady acting performance that you cherish chad
1: Lorna Raver did Mrs. Ganoush from Drag Me to Hell, which is the she's lady gross that. In that. <laughs> it, it's just she does a fantastic job, but Lorna had no idea what role she was auditioning for. Like she didn't read past the first two pages, so she reads old lady gets denied for a bank loan, doesn't read places curse <laughs> and like vomits into other people's mouths. So <laughs> once she gets the final script, she's like. Oh,
0: no. Uh, That was a fun episode. Uh, Dustin, how about you? What's an old lady acting performance you love?
2: My best old lady performance. Okay, I'm not doing that the whole episode. Uh, Gloria Foster and Mary Alice, both playing the Oracle in The Matrix. Uh, It's the character probably that drives me more. It's my fandom of the franchise. And I would say it's it's Gloria Foster's, uh, the, the first Matrix from 99. That's the one that we all wish it could be forever. Of course, you know, things don't happen that way sometimes. But uh, that's, that's my favorite performance. It's not an old lady performance. It's a, like a sage performance. And uh, that's, that's what I was looking for here with this question.
0: All right, and I'm going to go with Ellen Albertini Dow. She is in The Wedding Singer. So she's the foul-mouthed, uh, surprisingly out of nowhere, foul-mouthed uh, old lady who also hands Adam Sandler meatballs for payments for piano lessons. So she, everything she does is hilarious. So. She is funny. What's the last movie you saw, I'll chat?
1: I went to the theaters and saw Godzilla Minus One, which is... The best horror movie of 2023, and I will go out on a limb, It is the best movie of 2023 that Whoa. I saw. It is wow. excellent. I did not expect a giant lizard to nearly make me cry. So this they is better than ha- the
0: Matthew Broderick Godzilla, you're saying? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. <laughs> when it,
1: whenever Japan gets involved with Godzilla, like Shin Godzilla is amazing, Godzilla minus one. If they made it for $15 million, it will blow your mind. The score is
0: incredible. The story's incredible. Just, I loved it. All right, Dustin. How about you? What's the last movie you saw?
2: Well, that sounds great. I, I will see that now. That now that you've mentioned it, uh, I was talking with uh, a friend of mine's family the other day, and they asked me, "Oh, so you're on a podcast, huh? What was the best movie from ten years ago?" And I said, "Wow, wouldn't you know? We just did an episode on our best movies from ten years ago." And I had said that the number one movie in my heart was her with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson from 2013. And they wanted me to talk about it. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I have stopped myself from rewatching it for 10 years because of how great it was. But we sat down and we watched it together and there wasn't a dry eye in the place. It's a very moving uh, movie. And uh, so I I was lucky to be able to share it with someone else and it was just as good as I remembered, uh, even on the small screen. So uh, I I rewatched one of my favorites.
0: You got to prepare them. You're going to feel some stuff here.
2: You're going to feel.
0: Chad doesn't want to feel. He's shaking his head now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Russell and I had an off podcast conversation of like the least Chad movies. And this particular year, just her gets lumped into these categories of not Chad movies. Not Chad mm-hmm. movies. Tree of Life, though, Russell, I think, has discovered. The, That's probably uh, the least Chad movie. The least Chad of. movie. Made. Yeah.
0: Yes. All right,
1: but I'm glad people enjoy it Joaquin Phoenix is a treasure
0: the last movie I saw was Big Eyes from 2014 so that was 10 years ago for me so doing a little bit of catch up myself here I love Tim Burton I like to see everything he does this is the least Tim Burton Tim Merton movie you will see so Amy Adams is in this she's spectacular Christopher Waltz sorry Christoph Waltz is in this as well he might be a little over the top
1: (laughs) Christopher Walken Christoph Waltz. very different I do like, I do like this mashup actor. <laughs>
2: I'm interested in Christoph Waltz
0: So Christoph Waltz is in it as well. And it's a real life movie. So therefore, I gotta say the journey is not the most eventful. These movies, I mentioned this before with Monuments Men. It's like, uh, I know it's real because it's not as entertaining. So, but the acting is really good. And I want to say that this is a very different look from Tim Burton. So if you're a big Tim Burton fan... This was, this was truly doing something different for him. But today's movie is what, Chad?
1: 1955's The Lady Killers.
0: All right. Well, we brought a bunch of Lady Killers on to cover The Lady Killers. <laughs> uh, so, yes, that's yes. right. All right. So this stars Sir Alec Guinness, Mr. Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, Cecil Parker, Herbert Lom. Peter Sellers, that's the Pink Panther, actors and Inspector Clouseau for you there, Danny Green, Jack Wagner, Frankie Howard, and Katie Johnson. This comes out in 1955, a long time ago. I don't have real clear metrics on the box office returns and budget on this one. All I can tell you is the number one movie from 1955 was Lady and the Tramp. IMDb gives the Lady Killers a 7.6. Rotten Tomatoes likes it considerably more, though. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give this 100%, and the audience score is very high as well at 87%. The Academy Awards nominated it for Best Original Screenplay. The BAFTA Awards made it a winner twice, once for Best British Actress for Katie Johnson, and the Best British Screenplay. The BAFTAs also nominated it for Best Film of Any Source and Best British Film. It has no AFI distinctions, but wait, that's because it's not an American movie. They only pick American movies. So we're going (laughs) to hop the sea. You guys both rag on AFI all the time. So here we go with the B. Here we go with the BFI. Let's see if you like the way the British do it any better. They're going to drive on the other side of the road. They're going to pick different movies for their top 100. (laughs) So this is the number 13 film of all time according to the BFI. I would have to see
1: this list before I can really uh, rag on it, but I feel like 13 is too high. It's on the internet. It's too high. It is
2: too high without knowing any of the other movies around it. Right. And that's the thing though, but we have to give credit to the BFI here. An institution I learned about 10 seconds ago. (laughs) (laughs) Is that um, when I hear of the AFI, it's like, here are the top 1000 characters. And I'm thinking, that's a list that's too big. So maybe if the BFI keeps their lists shorter, for instance, this one is just the top 100 British movies, we got to give them some credit here. Still think it's too high.
0: Total Film Magazine says it's the 36th greatest comedy of all time. They did that in 2000. And The Guardian labeled it the fifth greatest comedy of all time in 2010, so more recently. And according to British historian John Hundley, who wrote a book in 2003, this movie was placed on the prison banned list. So after it emerged that a gang had recently released convicts would carry out a copycat robbery, having seen this movie whilst in their sentence in jail. So uh, not a good movie to show inmates, turns out. So if you're not a convict and incarcerated in prison right now, then uh, you can enjoy this movie.
2: And keep listening, folks.
0: Yeah. All right, Chad, I'm going to start with you. Had you seen The Lady Killers before?
1: I had not. And these lists are making me even more prejudiced against this film. Like, I'm... The fifth against greatest. the British
0: or just against lists?
1: Uh, having covered The Patriot, I've got a little against the British. Like, just, mm-hmm. just naturally. <laughs> but yeah, the fifth greatest comedy of all time in 2010, That's that's insanely and absurdly high. Unless he had seen five comedies whoever wrote for the guardian like that's the acceptable place to put it if you've seen five comedies i i didn't know what to expect i was excited for peter sellers i loved our pink panther episode so peter sellers isn't very peter sellers here i feel like he's getting his feet wet
0: he's very young in his career here
1: i was excited for alec guinness this is not alec guinness that i know this is not bridge over the river kwai this is not star wars He's It's an interesting role, so I'm here for the commentary of YouTube because this is uh, this
2: this was a tough one for me.
0: Okay, so Chad's tiptoeing his way into saying this one wasn't a big hit for him.
2: Dustin: One might say it's not a Chad movie.: It
0: <laughs> yeah. turns out it's not a Chad movie. It, so. it was not. So:
2: I'm uh, completely lost as to what a Chad movie is or what isn't. Uh, but I look forward for the next several years. Freddy Krueger being in it makes it a Chad you know, movie. Remaining lost as to what that means.
1: That's I've I've taken some big swings and like this is a Dustin movie and Dustin gets back. He's like I hated this. So <laughs> yeah. so we we all have these weird little boxes that we think we fit in, and then all of a sudden Dustin's like hers the best movie. <laughs> okay, I I missed I, somewhere somewhere my algorithm is off.
2: Yeah, there's, there's no wheelchairs and no kung fu. Uh, but I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to find is...
1: a kung fu wheelchair
0: movie. No puppetry. <clears throat> no. Nope. Yes.
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, I, I will say maybe that that's what's going to keep this going, is that we cannot accurately put each other into the correct boxes. And uh, that's the magic of the show, folks.
1: Yes, Russell keeps leaving me off dealer's choices that I'm like, this was a five, sir. You banned me from this episode. Leave her to heaven. Still sad.
2: And the 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 trap has been sprung. This is actually a trap episode on Russell. We're gonna we're, we're going to keep going after you for who you put on episodes of my top ten last year. I think I was only on four of those episodes. And this is right. like, hey, Fifth Elements, one of my favorite movies, guys. Nope, you're not on this one. Mm. It's a trap.
0: <laughs> those hurt. Those hurt. They have happened to me before too. I really wanted to do Psycho and Princess Bride. Two two that just come to my mind. So 100%. what a list whenever some whenever somebody <laughs> whenever somebody comes up with a movie that they really like or whenever somebody else takes a movie then you really want it and you're not on it 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 does hurt you're just like wanna pick another one so,
1: <laughs> you with our next movie
2: oh, you've done that too, where you've suggested the movie that we should do from yes. a short list because you wanted to do Russell's subtle
1: manipulation of. Don't you want to do this? And then when the co-host picks the wrong one, he'll go to the other co-host. And be like, "Hey, other co-host, do you have strong feelings?" The That's right,
2: way? puppet master. We have yes. we are tugging I'm back on these strings. Just making sure
0: there's not discord so. <laughs> on an episode you're not on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've, come, Don't worry, we've completely no. derailed this. Dustin, did you had you seen this movie <laughs> uh, from
2: 1955? No, because it's old. And I, I <laughs> but I was excited to because I knew in general the premise and I was interested in the, was it the Coen's that did the remake of this?
0: It mm-hmm. was, yes. I was
2: interested in that before I knew that I was a Cohen head. So it was something that I, I was relatively uh, familiar with. And then you grow up and learn like, oh, British movies are going to be different. British comedies are going to be different. And uh, I thought the movie was uh, charming. There was a lot of stuff that uh, I I watched it twice. So I watched, I I prepped more for this show than general. I watched our movie, the 55 version twice, and I watched the remake. Um, I thought there was a lot to eat up. Uh, It wasn't all um, mind blowing or eye popping, but uh, just trying to bask in the subtle stuff that you see. uh, That was something, a good movie for that kind of exercise.
0: Full disclosure, I had not seen this one before either. I do this with my dealer's choice quite often. I pick movies that seem like they should be watched that I've not seen, and I bring other people down this road with me. So nobody has seen this movie. I didn't know what to expect. I had seen the 2004 remake. I was not necessarily taken by it so much. I I certainly went back and revisited it like you did, Dustin. I, I had to watch it again with this to have a stronger comparison between the two to freshen up on that one. I did enjoy this movie. I'm not 100% sure, like Chad, that I'm as understanding of its ranking for 13th best British movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that I am still partially missing on some part of the relevance of what has this movie up so high. Now, having said that, I still enjoyed it. And I had fun with it. And I would watch it again. I just feel like maybe I'm there's part of me that's not quite getting, even with two viewings. That's what what has this one ranked so highly. I'm gonna try and get off of that though, and just take it for what it is in this movie, which is a good time.
2: Yeah, it is a good time, and there's a, I would say that the second watch was better for me, and that's not always the case. I, I like to I like to search for new things, um, and I would say our our opening scene, you know, with with uh, not our opening scene, but our opening sequences become funnier once you understand the sort of roles that that everyone's supposed to be in uh so rewatchability here i, I think is something special and then you toss in the 2004 version uh, which has its uh things that are closely tied in things that are different uh it's it's still thoroughly enjoyable
0: i will agree with you dustin it is much better upon rewatch see i, I took
1: your advice and it didn't work for me like i i tried it twice did the twice. Make. i I actually like the remake better, which is blasphemy on internet forums.
0: I don't know. I, I haven't really looked up how many people. I don't really know how people responded to the Coens one. I don't feel it's, like it's. I don't feel like it's the strongest movie from the Coens. It's That's
1: pretty reviled. Opinion. It's like down in the Hail Caesar ranks of Cohen movies.
0: I think it's worse than that, personally. But I mean, I I don't know. But I I, I don't know. I liked it better than Hail Caesar. But yeah, all right. Well, if you haven't seen this movie. We are going to spoil it for you, and we will be back after this messages. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please
2: subscribe, and happy listening.
0: All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So, Chad, for those who haven't seen The Lady Killer since 1955, one of fresh refresh people's memories.
1: Five criminals plan a heist of an armored car at the King's Cross Railway Station. These criminals pose as musicians while renting a nearby room from sweet Mrs. Wilberforce. Little does she know she's an integral part of the heist. The leader, Professor Marcus, convinces Mrs. Wilberforce to pick up his trunk from the railway station. The trunk contains the stolen cash from the armored car. Thinking they've made an easy getaway, the criminals pack all the stolen bills into their empty instrument cases and bid Mrs. Wilberforce adieu. Unfortunately, one of the criminals gets his cello case stuck in the door and the purloined bills spill out in front of Mrs. Wilberforce. The criminals come clean and Mrs. Wilberforce debates going to the police. The criminals decide that they need to tie up loose ends and plot to dispose of the old lady. But mistrust and mishaps ensue, leading to the deaths of each of the five criminals. Unaware of what's transpired, Mrs. Wilberforce takes the stolen cash to the local police station, who entertain her wild tale, but patronizingly tell her to keep the money, unwilling to believe the yarn she's spinning. Mrs. Wilberforce leaves money in hand. She donates a large sum to a local starving artist.
0: All right, all right. Well, this movie is kind of divided into two halves. This is pretty heisty for a comedy crime movie it, to begin with. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of positioning to go through with this, and we're meeting our characters through this one. I would say it doesn't become zany until the halfway point through the movie, which is not a long movie, but there's, there's a distinct change in character in, through this one. So I certainly know when I was watching it the first time, I was sitting there thinking, I thought this was going to be like more slapsticky and it does yes. get, it, it does get there. I just find that that's one of those interesting things so it's a little bit of a slow burn to get you started. Now, Chad, how did that two-act kind of formation go down for you? Are, are you getting lost in the first act?
1: I was okay with the first act, but what became a problem was they wait too long. You mentioned it being split in half it's really about two-thirds of the way into the movie before we start bumping off our bad guys and it just feels super rushed and that there wasn't enough attention to detail i like the heist i like the dialogue the characters have their flat like the only one that we've got a couple of okay uh harvey uh mr harvey uh, louis is underhanded and he's the mean one and one round is the dumb one. He's the simpleton. But we just don't get enough of these characters or spend enough time in their dialogue. But then all of a sudden it's, okay, this can only be a 90-minute movie. We're at the 70-minute mark. Let's start killing them. That just, it was rushed for me.
0: Okay, I think that's an interesting differentiator. So you, you take it when they start to kill each other off and double-cross each other as kind of the change of plan there. But I think it was Mrs. Wilberforce knows when the case of money opens up, it's kind of at that halfway point.
1: Okay. That's that's a fair definition. I will say walking into this movie with a title called The Lady Killers, I was very annoyed by Mrs. Wilberforce at first. She's in the police station. And my first note is, I cannot wait for this old lady to get whacked. I really thought that that's the direction this movie was going to go and she would die in some kind of hilarious way. Not at all what happened, but that was how I thought it was going to go down.
0: Wow, there's no children in this movie, so Chad goes the next closest thing, sweet (laughs) old ladies.
1: I'm (laughs) going to take an octogenarian out.
0: Dustin, how about you?
2: I I think it is important, like, with, with the distinction of, well, is it when Miss Wilberforce knows or is it when they start to turn on one another because they can't bring themselves to do things from drawing lots uh, I would say that the title itself is really almost a, like, British humor thing. Uh, or or it's the idea, like, this is really tongue-in-cheek, is that this movie about uh, criminals stealing material goods is called The Lady Killers because, gosh, everyone in the audience is just, like, wringing their hands, being like, "Oh, this woman. Like, you can see why they would. And uh, so it's the most aggressive politeness that you're just like, get. You you want your characters to give you almost like an eye roll or a sigh of relief when she leaves the room and she's just offering tea or coffee. Uh, So I I, I get the idea that even the title is sort of its own special type of comedy. It's another way of looking at a a movie we did last year, which is like a funny thing happened on the way to the forum is like in, in itself a joke. So, like, the lady killers is kind of a joke. Uh, but, yeah, when, when she knows, that, that happens. I, I don't even know if it's halfway. I might say, like, 40 minutes in or something. What I was thinking of is, this is Lizzie's calling card here. We have zero character development. Chad, you had just said, like, these characters come out flat. There is something to be said about the comfort of having, that's the tough guy, that's the muscle, that's this, this A, B, or C. People fall into their roles, but the the roles here aren't defined enough, well enough for us. You barely have enough time to learn their names, and you have very little aside from this sort of British politeness. You don't have much interaction that separates them from one another. You have just a couple of lines. It's just it's just not enough. And so then when we have this this final act where they can't bring themselves to do it. They're finding ways in and out. Some of them are trying to betray and, and get out the window, get away with all the money. They are criminals after all. That like that, seems manic and rushed. And then it, it, our culmination is something that's... Uh, I, this movie isn't meant to wow you with some type of action scene, uh, but you have... Alec Guinness uh crawling around with two with with two twigs in his hand pretending to be a bush. So like it it is it's like constantly zagging you and I don't know if it's all purposeful, but it it does kind of keep you like just a bit out of your comfort zone the whole time.
0: See, I would say that even in a more dramatic heist movie, we don't get a lot of background. Like when we covered Ronan, we don't know a whole lot about a lot of the characters. Or when we covered Asphalt Jungle, some of them have worked together before, some of them haven't. And, you know, th- this is typical of, of a caper film, I think. And so I think, I think, I don't think they want to condescend to the audience by spoon feeding you the personalities of each one of these characters necessarily. One of them's younger and less experienced at this one. You clearly tell who's the smartest one in charge. We know who the angry, impulsive one is. We see that the other one is polite on the surface, but is also more cowardly. We see him jumping over the fence, always ready to run all the time. There's certain characteristics that we, we get built in, which is why I do think it is better upon your watch. You don't, you're, not, you're not spoon-fed these things. Nobody's sitting there saying, like, oh, you're, you're the cowardly guy, or you, got, you ran off from that job before. We have a lovable big oaf. One, uh, one Round. One it's Round. Just, yeah, One Round is a great name, by the way. He we warm up to him slow, but by the end, you can't help but love him. He's like, nobody's going to hurt the old lady. So.
2: Uh-huh. Well, you know, I think that the pendulum swings is from from no development to spoon feed. We can get something in the middle, and I think that's what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I think of the gold standard of Ocean's Eleven. There's a ton of characters, and I could tell you what each character's role is what they were good at they all have their own personalities they all have their own scenes it would have done wonders for me to have okay major and harry to interact with each other have something differentiating the two because like why are you guys here what are you bringing to the table like, I, I get bringing Louie in because he's ready to just stab and murder whoever. <laughs> Thing, things go south. Get the dude in the black trench to just mop things up for you.
0: One round's pretty self-explanatory as well.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So, okay. So you got two members that you, you want to know, like, hey, he's a phenomenal driver or something like that.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Majors, majors just at the train station with the binoculars, say, almost screwing up the simplest task. Yeah. Just well, tell us when the old lady's coming. And he starts freaking out because the car comes back.
2: What we do have is time put into really solidifying the type of woman that Mrs. Wilberforce is. And I think that's welcome. Uh, is, is, oh, the, the local constabulary is kind of tired of the stuff that she says. <laughs> yes. And, and, and that makes sense. And, and that time, I don't think we should take away from. Uh, So the the focus for our director here, the focus was just on let's let's really set it up like this. This woman is a very particular type of woman, and how uh, if anybody in these shoes would eventually, you would have enough of her, you'd get your fill of her. Like, God, just get out of the way. And uh, I, I think that's where this movie can really be like you know qualified as a success J- just talking about how their you know, characters are a bit flat it is isn't the main criticism i would say uh, for me because it, it definitely doesn't knock off the enjoyment because this very particular style like there's a reason why i think the remake sticks so closely to what you call the source materials because it has to work the way that it does and i'm glad that it does
1: it's a very yeah. stage play-esque type which usually is a home run for me i 12 Angry Men could be turned and has been into a stage play. I can see it as a very funny stage play. But uh, to your point, Dustin, Mrs. Wilberforce. We get those little subtle hints of when her parrot gets loose. And she's mm-hmm. just like, I'll call, I'll phone the superintendent, meaning the police, to go and get him. Like, here's this old lady that it's just common incur- occurrence where every time she loses one of her three birds, she's just going to phone the police and have them get these birds out of a tree.
0: This is a real character, though. I mean, like that that's a person.
1: <laughs> yeah, I- I'm sure it's the same. I have never seen a fire department get a cat from a tree, but it's a stereotype for a reason. Like, that's a thing they do.
0: I think Mrs. Wilberforce steals the show, though, to what Dustin is saying. To watch this woman unaware initially of what's going on, but then to become aware and to put a massive wrench in their plans, they try to push her, and you would think it would even be wise for her to play dumb just to let them go. It would be the safest thing to do. Nope. she's She's very principled, and it's one of those things where she represents kind of a... Old British Victorian mentality, and this movie is written after the war, and the post-war scene in England is is changing in a way that not necessarily you know Britain has seen better days, so to speak, and so this is this is direct commentary on that, and so this is one of the those levels of the writing that people are praising it so heavily for. I don't think that that. that that message comes through in the remake as much, but Miss Wilberforce represents something more than just an old woman who happens to call the police every time. So, um, Katie Johnson steals the show with this one. She's amazing. The directors really, really wanted to get somebody else. And in the end, the woman that they picked, they thought, they thought, they thought Katie Johnson was too old and frail. So they went and got another person and then she died. So then, then Oh, yeah. So then Katie Johnson Oh my
2: god, you just I know. put an arrow through my heart
0: I know So then <laughs> Katie Johnson ends up coming back and saying I'll put up my own money for my insurance To pay for this Because I want to do this role So wow, Katie Johnson played the old lady At 76, by the way They, they brought her and they did not make her pay her own insurance In the end but they, they <laughs> did. So Katie Johnson gets the job By a younger woman dying And the director asked her if she could prominently Have her name above the title though Like like Katie Johnson above everybody else. And the distributor agreed. Two years later, Katie Johnson died. She'd only made one more movie, other than this one. So she's outstanding in this one. This isn't like some seasoned actor coming in here and just knocking it out of the park. I mean, she was the one who got the Oscar nominations and the BAFTA awards. I mean, Alec Guinness, what you think of as being a name of great clout, but I don't wanna take away what you said, Dustin. Kind of, even though she's not the main character, Alec Guinness is, she kind of steals the show. Yeah, she's
1: fantastic. She understands the assignment. I will say this, though, you mentioned that she's not that naive. I'll pose this question to both of you. You find out that there are five criminals, and you now know they're criminals, and that they've stolen $60,000 or whatever it is, and you've got their money. Are you then going into the sitting room and taking a nap?
2: Okay, that's that is where this becomes so funny, and what I mean so funny is I mean this very particular sense of humor that these five hardened criminals cannot do any addition. It's like they don't want to get put in timeout, yeah. like, uh, and they're, they're moping around and they're 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 having to abide by the rules of this house. And they don't want to disturb her. They definitely don't want to hurt her. You know, she set, she wags her fingers and goes tut tut, and they feel like a recoil like, oh, yeah, don't, no, don't. I don't want this attention from Granny. And I think that's where, like, it's it kind of the, the joke of the name of this movie at all. Like the lady killers can't even touch her. And, and so it's that that is where this kind of unique feeling for this movie of, one round obviously has this this clear affection for her. Professor Marcus isn't going to do anything to kind of jeopardize the whole situation. I feel like Harry Robinson, so Peter Sellers' character, he can't bring himself to do anything. But I also just feel like his whole character is underwritten. And then mm-hmm. even the hardened guy Herbert Lom's uh, Louis, uh, he can't bring himself to. There's there's the the idea that there is this stalemate that like that, like British politeness is keeping these five criminals from getting away from the like with this crime and resulting in mrs wilberforce keeping the money and nobody even kind of really realizing it that it's happening it's such a like the phrase isn't turnabouts fair play but the the phrase is just so like sorry what i mean to say is the, the feeling is just so so unique for a comedy that maybe if there was a BFI list for most unique comedic premises, yeah, maybe this does become top 10 or top 15. But it, it just is something that I don't know if I had encountered that before. That's how, I know, Chad, you kind of pose it as a question, but that's what makes it so special is that, is that the, the, the five hardened criminals in this one ramshackle house that's fallen apart are bested by this little old lady.
0: Yes, I gotta say, though, we're tiptoeing into what you're getting at, though, is there's a difference in American sensibility of humor and British sensibility. This is not uh, Abbott and Costello. This is not a big, big production with lots of physical laughs and stuff like that. There is subtlety as they're lying to her, as we see things, which is why I think it's better upon rewatch. You get to absorb these things, so... And I will agree with you. This is not a powerhouse performance from Peter Sellers. This is his first real film of any consequence, as he put it. And he said, I can remember really well that I was just watching Alec Guinness, who was an idol of mine, doing everything in his rehearsals, his scenes, practicing everything. It was fascinating to be. Not only could I hope to be as good as Guinness, but just he was just an ideal of mine, like an idol. And so he was he was awestruck by where he is in this. I think he does have his moments, I think. And when he braves up to try and steal the money for himself, things are getting, I think mean, things are peaking out and just going on all cylinders at that point. So I, I do think early though, to your point, Chad, he is lost in the shuffle. The most of any of them. And perhaps it's because he's the youngest. Do you like the eccentric performance that Alec Guinness puts on here? He has fake teeth, which I it took me a while to pick up on that. Like some of us kept going like that doesn't feel like Alec Guinness to me. And I had a hard time figuring it out. It's just like when I would watch Rat Race and John Cleese had these teeth that were really <laughs> white and large and oversized. And, it, you know, it doesn't hit you right away. It's just like something seems off about you, John Cleese. And that was it. So once again, we've got this gnarly looking hair hanging down. You've got, you know, he's very disheveled looking. Tom Hanks' character in the Lady Killers in the American version does something very different with him, turns him into Colonel Sanders. <laughs> types type character which it's fun to watch uh hanks do but that movie struggles from not having enough around hanks to bounce off of necessarily it's like a, somebody going to play racquetball but there's no walls to play racquetball up against so yeah he's
1: he's very hammy and everything else around him yeah. isn't it's, it's
0: yeah yeah it's, it's like going out to play racquetball on a golf course is what i would put it like uh hanks was hanks was good but i just didn't feel like the movie worked for his parameters Did you like Guinness here? I mean, like you said, this is a very different Guinness performance. He doesn't actually like his Obi Wan Kenobi performance or his movie work that much in Star Wars. So he'd rather you remember him for this.
1: Yeah, I didn't recognize him to start off with. And it was the teeth. He just, everything about him looked off. And he just, the image of Al Guinness for me is just this very, very put together, handsome man. And Professor Marcus. He looks untrustworthy yes he that dude darkens your door. You're not renting a room to him. Mm-hmm. you don't trust that he plays any kind of instrument.
2: We
0: get that she's having a hard time renting this house out.
1: yeah, she only has two rentable rooms, and one of them's the sitting room because she's got house- three
0: crazy loud parrots. It had the house been is hilariously crooked by the way, yeah, like the the pictures don't hang on the wall correctly. Yeah,
1: because she describes it as uh, ever since the war, so the bombing of London shifted the settlement of her house, and that's pretty intense. She also men- makes mention of the previous monarch or something like that, the previous ruler, and everyone's confused to tell her she- she's been around since yeah. Elizabeth the first.
2: Yeah, yeah, and her twenty-first birthday is when the last queen died. The Alice Guinness. Like performance, I think we do have to owe a lot of it to the prop teeth and his hair. Uh, what I said I said out loud, or I was I was driving today and I was like, "Man, Brad Dourif has some competition for the slimiest character on screen."
1: <laughs> oh, worm tongue, <laughs> because
2: this this guy this this uh, the professor Marcus is, and it's part of the way like this almost sickening honeyed type of of speech coming from him as well is is sickening and alluring like you want to watch this set of slick guy he is manipulative he's supposed to be this mastermind but he's also kind of put in his place with his position there's a a bunch of times when i I thought to myself like is this alec guinness exactly like what you said chad i'm like gosh this doesn't look like him it it almost looks like and and he's so pale in in the color tone of this movie, and probably just in real life, but uh the combination with the the he's washed out, you know, is is how that would be described. And then his his wardrobe kind of makes him he's he's not meant to be the style of, I'm not gonna say foppish or powdered the way that maybe Tom Hanks's character was, but he somehow has convinced these other criminals that he should be the, the leader of this and put this together. And then you you even as we as we go throughout, he he does kind of <clears throat> get the better of his showdown with Louis, that that particular point when he's like kicking that ladder and he is kind of contortioned into the bottom of that bridge or that retaining wall, whatever it is. And it, it's almost like clownish comical, uh, not slapsticky like we mentioned before, but it's just like this, the culmination of this movie has him just getting bonked in the head. So there, there's a lot that I think is is just, I mentioned it before, where you just kind of get zagged. Even just his appearance uh, is is zagging for me. And so uh, the, the the performance from it, uh, I, I think it is like his dialogue too was written with sort of poetic flourish, which I, I really like. I liked that from Hanks' version as well. But just, just his on-screen presence is a, a bit unsettling.
0: Oddly enough, he would channel Alistair Sim performances and Alistair Sim, kind of would use these oversized teeth and stuff like that. So much of his portrayal here, it's funny. He just said, surely this, this is for somebody else. He found himself taking after somebody else's performance in this one. So he's channeling it in here. I'm not that familiar with the overall work of Alistair Sim. So to me, it's, Alec, it's all Alec Guinness's bag of tricks to me. So,
1: When we're all saying it doesn't seem like Alec Guinness. So he did a good job.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Falcon and his autobiography wrote Peter Sellers had much of the same level of insecurities on this one too. I got to say, certainly not Alec Guinness. His performance doesn't show it. I could maybe believe that Sellers is a little jittery in his performance here. That may come across.
1: It's hard to tell because character is jittery. His character is uncertain. So, I mean, maybe that's playing to your strengths. You don't know what you're doing. Let's give you a character that's young and doesn't know what they're doing. Just Lean into that a little more, like, hey, go have him get a different tool instead of the crowbar for the armored car. Like, have him get some ridiculous tool and somebody just say, no, this is what you need. Like, they're training him.
0: Well, he did the voice for the bird, too, by the way. Peter Sellers did, so. Did he? Yes. And if you catch it at one point, it goes, Alec Guinness?
2: I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't catch that.
0: Richard Attenborough, Mr. Hammond from Jurassic Park yes. was considered for the role of Harry, for Peter, so Peter Sellers got that role. That's so long ago, it's hard to picture Hammond doing that, so mm-hmm. I have a hard time connecting old, old versions of actors with young versions of them sometimes.
1: I mean, birds and dinosaurs, they're related, so yeah.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> oh man, a strong candidate for the smartest thing said all year, Chad.
1: <laughs> this is the beginning of 2024
0: so. it is fitting for this Herbert Lom was the last one surviving from the cast so everybody from this cast is now dead he died in 2012 so like the movie all of our cast is now dead
1: So, that, wow that was that was a super dark point I was going to go with Herbert Lom is in seven Pink Panthers movies so him and Peter Sellers are good friends
2: well Russell I want to ask you what do you think about uh, our our ending with it i think it's infrequent for nobody to make it uh, what do you it. think about like the 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 heist ending with well it's because in a way as an audience member you might be like, oh none of these guys deserve it but the the speed at which they all drop is a little jarring so i, I wanted to ask you what you thought about it man.
0: it's actually less fast than the coen version the coen version is a longer movie with the characters lasting longer and then dropping off very quickly at the end so it's Both more, are fast,
2: though. It's even yes. more
0: pronounced than that one. So, but no, to your point, it is fast. I like that. I like the speed of it. Now, I am the only one, in, probably on the whole podcast, who likes things like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. There's a speed at which point when things go zany, they go big and they go they go there. I like hiding behind a bush with letter two sticks. I like <laughs> one round running through a fence, chasing somebody like like he's like an unstoppable refrigerator of a man. I like. You know, things really get fun. We lose a character off the roof, and he comes downstairs, and and Professor Marcus is like, "Where's the major?" And mm-hmm. like he's like, "He can't come right now." And then he's like laughing. He's like, "What? Ha-? Like he fell off the roof?" And he like he's laughing. He's like, uh, "Is he all right?" And he's like, <laughs> "Everyone's just like he's like he realizes he's dead, and the game has changed again." I like these turns. And I feel like you know, if it were an American production, you'd have a lot more of these big moments and big turns in there. I, again, there's, there's more subtlety here. So there's, a, there's an adjustment for me. It's like driving on a different kind of road with a different kind of car. I'm learning to appreciate it. But this isn't my home base.
1: I wish they'd leaned into the comedy more. And I think I just want to make this movie something it's absolutely not willing to do. Dustin sort of nailed it without saying the word. It's absurdist humor and that's not what I'm going for, I I would have wanted more slapsticks. So you have yes. Louie chase Major out onto the roof, and say a bird gets loose or something. Major falls off the roof of his own slipping, like, banana peel, whatever. You right. could make that funny, and then it becomes, oh, to your point, it's a completely different ball game now. There's more money to go around. But... We don't get that. We get the cutaway of Hervey killing him. And that's, that's our shot. And it's just a very strange tone for me.
2: And the movie yeah. isn't above it because we have a scene where we have uh, the guy, you know, selling uh, fruit out of the back of his cart where the horse is chomping on it. And, and that scene is uh, slapsticky. And we literally have a guy slipping on fruit. So the movie isn't above it. It, it, i i see what you're saying here and i it how funny would it be for her to be you know swinging around a broom and knocking somebody over or, or you know the tiles from on top of the ceiling start to slip from under the feet like i i could see this going that way but then does it have a 100 percent rotten tomatoes meter critic score because people oh this is just another slapsticky thing it's it's almost as if like it It exists this way, and it has to exist this way, but it can leave some viewers wanting.
0: The Ealing Studios had like a, which is, this is a Ealing Studios production, and they had a series of comedies, and this one was dark. This is a dark comedy, when you really think about it. Like, the, the characters are dying, they're not savory characters, they're duking it out over each other, and again, you have this image of Victorian England with this older woman here, but I mean, everything else that's going around her, the atmosphere, everything around her is crumbling. And that's what this movie is saying. The values of England are coming down. I think it's that intelligence that you're talking about, Dustin. That's why this is ranked so high. And it's one of those things where I didn't live in England at this time. I haven't lived in England at Yeah, me neither. And so there's a part of this that I will admit. I'm only getting a piece of that message through here. Even as I read it, I don't understand the full power of that. So just in the same way that somebody might not, from America, might not get how strongly patriotic you might feel when you watch The Patriot. Well, that's one of those things where...
2: They didn't have a coach teaching biology that puts The Patriot on for three days at the end of the semester to be like, all right, we're going to watch this movie.
0: Thank you. So, I mean, it's one of those things where my context might not be there to fully appreciate that. But I do think you're right, Dustin. I think it's a smarter written comedy than many. I like slapstick humor, so I'm 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 somewhat
2: like Chad. Well, and I think we also have we have some like running jokes that aren't gags. You know, she forgets her umbrella. I think four times in the movie,
1: and doesn't like it,
2: and she doesn't like yeah. And th- then we have. The the parrots, I guess there is a kind of a big, loud, and accompanied with music, slapsticky scene where they're chasing after the parrot, and I think one round it gets stuck in a chair. Yes,
1: uh, and,
2: and that's where you know it's it's almost as if the filmmakers are teasing us. Which would you like a little more of this? Too bad we're actually going to go back into the subtle dark comedy instead, and then you know combine that with the squawking birds and the horse running through the. The streets. It, it, it is. I, I'll go back to just saying it, it's unique in how it, it feels.
0: Yeah, and I think I think the screenplay is a lot of what people do champion about it. I mean, it's interesting. William Rose, the guy who wrote this and director Alexander McKendrick, they quarreled violently during the production. Rose stormed off, leaving the screenplay when it wasn't even quite quite done yet. McKendrick brought in like a television comedy writer to help finish writing it out and. He provided the finishing touches, but Rose did later say that McKendrick did handle this, you know, while handled more lavishly, was done well. Like he was pleased with the product in the end when once cooler heads prevailed. So obviously he won several awards for the screenplay, but it's just one of those interesting things. Alexander McKendrick had a book on filmmaking and he said the fable though, going back to the intelligence, the lady killer, in his own words, the director said, the lady killers is a comic and ironic joke about the condition of post-war England. After the war, countries going through a kind of quite typically British, but nevertheless historically fundamental revolution. Few people were prepared to face up to it. The great days of the English empire were gone forever. And British society was shattered with the same kind of conflicts appearing in many other countries. Impoverished, disillusionment, upper class, brutalizing the working class, juvenile delinquency running amok, the mods and the rockers in flux, threatening the stability of the national character. And no one at that time put this into perspective better than Bill Rose, and they spelled it out like this. The major played by Cecil Parker is a con man, and is a caricature of the decadent military ruling class. One round, Danny Green is the old fish representative of the British masses who are being pushed into this. Harry Sellers is the spy, and is, the work, is a representative of the worthless younger generation that can't be counted on. And Lewis, played by Herbert Lom, is a dangerously unassimilated foreigner brought into this. So they are a complete cartoon of the British corruption of the time and a tiny figure of Mrs. Wilberforce was the 19th century idealist who called for the abolition of slavery and is plainly just as much diminished in her own role in the society. Her little cul-de-sac house, her shabby cluttered memories of these days where the British Navy ruled the world and captains gallantly striated across the bridge of the ship and her own house is structurally now unsound. So it does help to read. The director's breakdown of that none of this is coming across to me when i'm russell it necessarily i
2: want to thank you for reading that to us and i want hopefully our audience liked hearing to it i liked school i liked english class i liked learning about stuff and i was one of those guys that was like well i like this story and thank you good english teachers for telling me what it means i think i like it less <laughs> the lady killers i like less it, learning that the director was trying to have things represent the different parts and casts of the british post-war world right that doesn't matter to me at all maybe british schools are are more keen in on that which is why they rank this as their 13th greatest film ever i don't need any of it I'm, I'm glad that you said it because i can see now using just certain phrases that the director himself used that like, oh, okay, that it makes some sense. But I certainly am not searching for that hidden meaning or those those metaphors.
1: Yeah, this isn't Animal Farm. I don't need to read up about post-industrial Europe to get this movie. I shouldn't have to for what it's trying to accomplish. It also makes me like it a little less when it tells <laughs> me, okay, Louis is the dangerous foreigner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the whole, oh, here's the foreigner, the violent foreigner ruining proper British society.
2: I'll That's say this about making... my favorite movies too. If someone tries to explain The Matrix to me in all of the ways that the Wachowskis were trying to teach us a lesson, I would say, it's already one of my favorite movies. Just shut up for a second. Just right. let watch.
1: stop ruining it. Also, stop making sequels.
2: And I'm going to say it for the third time. Thank you for telling us, Russell. I'm not ragging on you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Help me because this is where I was starting to get where the. The rankings coming from but i gotta say i would have gone would have gone completely over my head otherwise and this is where the rewatch does improve i think but again regardless i still wasn't around in 1955 england so that doesn't change
1: yep they like tea it's funny because they'll interrupt each other during really important meetings because the tea is ready and she's like banging on the pipes with the hammer the little mallet (laughs) to get the water running
2: now, maybe that fit figures into what Russell just taught us was the idea that this post-war house at the end of the row where everything has settled differently after the bombings. Does it ever come into play with the actual like plot of the movie or does it change any actions? You know how she like bangs on the walls to like get her pipes going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is that mainly just very good set dressing or? Or is it unneeded for later on? I don't think it affects anything that happens in the movie. It no, doesn't.
1: It, and I really wanted it to be a Chekhov's too. Gun, yes. But, come on, let her bonk someone with this hammer.
0: I just really liked, I mean, how bad the house was. I, I wish we had gotten more things. Maybe this is just the architect I me, mean, but I thought that the fact that the pictures were didn't hang straight were very funny. I would have thought it would have been funny had somebody put something round down or something on wheels down oh. and they thought it was behind them and then they look behind them and it's not there anymore. Cool. That would have made me very happy. Like, like if Peter Sellers put an orange on the table and then it wasn't there a second ago later or something like small things that aren't the main joke happening in the background about how crappy this house is <laughs> yeah. would, would make me very happy. We uh, completely
1: abandoned that entire joke. Like we get not in really, our the the Jimmy this house
0: very easily and it leads to one of their deaths. The fence is just absolutely like run
2: through <laughs> yeah, like, like paper. I mean, it's,
0: I'm not sure it's totally gone, Chad, but it leaves the picture for quite some time. But they, they physically leave the house to do the heist and all that stuff in the middle of the movie.
2: Which we don't actually get a lot of. I, I, think, I think I was left a little wanting as to what the of what the super plan was. Really? I liked it. I
0: thought it was way better than the remake version where they're like tunneling to like a casino, I thought, I thought this change of hands of the bag, the fact that they actually drew Mrs. Wilberforce into the actual plan and used her as part of this, and yeah. in theory could tell her, like, you're culpable, you're part of this, you're an accessory to this. I really like that. that so I think
2: there, There's two things, which is I will compare, I will use this movie and compare it to movies. I won't compare it to the remake exclusively. Okay. It's, I've been spoiled with incredible heist movies for the last 70 years That's so funny. so this one I'm just like, oh what is this great plan with, with the attention to detail that we do get and that we could get I, I just I felt as if like where our time is being used like could it have been something that like drew a little bit more attention? Could we have lost the whole three separate people getting bothered by mrs. W- miss Wilberforce in the middle of the day I don't know it's it's hard to say like what I would have wanted instead I think. Where we've come in terms of planning and heist movies, uh, not just in in movies, but all all media, is that maybe I was just, I'm wanting something that this had more laid groundwork for rather than been the epitome of.
1: It does speak to the absolute incompetence of the police force. Like the old lady friends bring in that newspaper that says clearly 60,000 stolen from whatever bank or railway. And then she goes to the police with this exact number that was in the headline saying they stole it from the exact location. And the police are like, yeah, yeah, crazy old lady, get out of here. Like, you don't even want to ask a question?
2: (laughs) I
0: think that incompetence is funny and probably not even that far-fetched.
2: I I think it's funny, too. I, I, I like how she has a bit of fear when she learns, like, okay, this has happened that she's talking with just a night watchman who comes to the door and she starts, she starts kind of rattling off some phrases like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to invite you in without a search right. warrant, a search warrant, madam. Why would I have that? Uh, that was a, a great little exchange that she's about to give up the goat by trying to be too careful. Cause she had been a very particular type of character, all movie. And then she lets the new info change her. I, I thought that was great. I, you would think someone like her was unchangeable that she's just set in her ways at 76 or whatever, however old she is in the movie. So uh, that was a, that was a cute little scene of immediately thinking she's got all this heat on her. And then also thinking about like the use of the terms, like, Oh, I, and I carried the lolly. Like this this is all stuff that like, I I mentioned very early that like this movie is charming and, and that really bolsters that idea.
0: Yeah. Did you catch with the picture of the Naval husband that she was looking at?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it is actually Alec Guinness who plays a naval officer who goes down with his ship in another movie. So a little bit of meta of referential humor there.
2: Yeah, wow, meta from 70 years ago, I love it.
0: I know, I know, that's really fun. Another thing that I thought was interesting, Alexander McKendrick doesn't actually have a very successful career after this. Ealing Studios was sold off that year cutting him loose as a freelance director, something he wasn't prepared to do, And uh, he was spoiled there, he said. With all the logistical and financial troubles off his shoulders, he could just create and do the direction, which is what he really had to do. And the reason that he discovered himself as being much happier. And so he ended up going into teaching. So he doesn't have a chance to really follow this up. He only does four more movies after this, and they're quite spaced out. So 57, then all the way to 63, before he comes back to do a a second one after this one. So kind of sad that Ealing Studios, uh, which from what I'm reading, is one of those things where if you like this or if you like these kinds of comedies, it's a special moment in time when these were here. Some other ones are part of the Ealing Studios comedies, such as the man in the white suit and kind hearts and cornets that I did not necessarily recognize, but that is what a gentleman's guide to love and murder. The stage musical is based on that is hilarious. And that also has Alec Guinness in it. And I have to admit, I don't know if we want to take this ride again at some point, but, That has piqued my interest, for sure.
1: Enjoy your ride,
0: Dustin. I'll be banned.
2: (laughs) I'll take it. Uh, It's the only way I'll ever watch it is via recommendation.
0: By the way, uh, that Copenhagen Tunnel being so so much a part of this with the trains and the King's Cross station there was just, I really like the setting of this little rickety house next to the tracks. It's not really actually that close. There are real houses in the area, but the exterior of Mrs. Wilberforce's house is just a set built in front of a blank wall. And the exterior scenes are shot on Argyle Street about three quarters of a mile south of that. So they stitched together beautifully well. I don't sense that it's a set because the house is supposed to be so rickety and crappy. And I really like that personally. And the look of this all worked for me. I like the dingy cloudiness, that that characterization that London brings because it does bring that tone to that dreary post-war Britain does come through, even if I didn't live through it.
2: Yeah, I will notice that there are some outdoor scenes though that like it's 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 almost like painted background or I mean it's not like early green screen but it's like oh and there's also some ADR inside the house that was surprising but it was acceptable to me. It didn't take me out of anything. I was just like, oh okay, like this is. It almost seemed like this is a no budget movie because it it did feel like this this place. Like existed. I also really like uh, our our beginning and our end of our movie. We have a kind of a zoom in from top, then we have a zoom out from bottom, kind of to bookend this. And there's this lovely, almost glass harmonica style chiming score to intro the movie and outro the movie. It's not used any time in the movie itself. It's just in and out, and it it's almost as if like this was part of a larger serial of let's like take your you know post-war British characterization it was almost like here's just one story of many but there were some subtle touches about what you see on screen and what you hear on screen that kept me in this sort of zone in this aura this feel for this time period and you know I don't have to mimic what you said like yeah I didn't live through it either but you get you get an idea of what that's like and and it does feel cloudy and dark and
0: I even thought they came into the interior of the home. I read at one point that like it was a bit of a blunder that they used, a lot of the set was reused pieces that were used on black and white films that they were using this stuff again in a rather more colorful palette. I'll be honest with you, it all seemed to work to me. So I, you know, the house interiors to me just convey that same dreariness. I, I, I like the character of the house so much.
2: So. It also is it cramped. Th- these men aren't small. So, and so they're having to kind of duck into and out of these doorways. And I think we've all been in our aunt or uncle's house or somebody in your family's house where it's like, if you were to look at it, like from a like 2020s perspective, you'd be like, that is really showing its age. And so you've been in places where, oh, this is a a very short hallway with a banister that only has three rungs on it. That house is built uh, very much like the burrow seems. Yeah,
0: I think that the wardrobe's another one of those things that I really like. When you go back and you look at it, you see each one of the characters is completely different. They don't look like they go together. And that's kind of true in this. They accentuate one round's large size by getting these clothes that visibly seem kind of small for him. Like his <laughs> his, his arms kind of stick out the bottom of the sleeves a lot, etc. Uh, the major seems a little more prim and proper. And you have Louis. He wears these darker colors. He wears a hat. I read that he wore a hat more than other people because he had a, his head shaved bald because he was doing the uh, Yul Brenner role of the King and I uh-huh. on stage on stage yes. at the time. So he he's had a the King head. of
1: Siam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or et cetera, the original et cetera, one, etc. I love that you go to Yul Brenner for that.
0: I think a
2: lot of people go to Yul Brenner for that.
0: I, I, I was going to say, really? That's, that's, yeah. That's, that's the main. That's the main guy who does it, right? Uh, that doesn't Siam. like my assessment of that
1: <laughs> I mean he's he's the original you gotta go with Lom for King of Siam
0: okay alright Katie Johnson's perfect like the little hat the little yes. old lady things and I mean I think she's better than her coming with that little tea tray
1: she appears like she's go getting ready for church services every day and that's yeah. just very cute and sweet
0: I love all the old ladies coming in the house right as this has been uncovered.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great scene with all of our friends of, okay, we're going to have to kill two. And then they just keep piling in the door. Like <laughs> the worst clown car ever.
2: <laughs> and, and it and when they are forced, when they're forced to go into the room that they're all having tea, like there's yes. a cup and saucer forced into their hand. You know, here's a little, here's a little uh, crumpet or whatever. And it's like, th- this is the part that she cared about more. Now, remember, these are my friends for so long. I have known them forever. Not the 60,000 right. pounds. <laughs> like, what's more important is my friends are coming over and you are going to be well behaved. That's British, British it.
0: properness. You know what? The more we're talking about this, I'm starting to appreciate. I, again, you have to put yourself in the frame of mind. Like, it's just a different type of humor that I don't ingest as often. And I'm starting to appreciate these things as we're talking about it more and more. That, that prim, proper Britishness is a very funny thing. There's a different sensibility to it. And it is not a slapsticky. as what I'm used to and that's certainly what Chad is calling for more of. And I think you could have a very funny movie doing that. And I even crossed my mind, it, being British, just done a little bit later, what would this movie have been like had the Pythons been ex- executing this, uh, this heist?
1: You you stole my entire recast from our superiors,
0: but, <laughs>
1: but yes, when we talk about unsatisfactory endings, Monty Python and the Holy Grail has to be up there. It's a very British thing to do. None of them get the nobody grail.
0: makes it. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, right. So they do their own thing, but I I found myself sitting there going like, this movie would be pretty fun. Cleese would definitely be great. They would all be great in this. So yes.
2: It almost makes you think that the Lady Killers could be a perennially remade movie with a different group. Like, let's just think of what about Broken Lizard uh, Mm. doing this as well. Now, I'm I'm not gonna go with like Lonely Island, but it's something where like this idea unchanged. I mean, we know how frequently like A Christmas Carol is done, just with different cast characters. With the Lady Killers, like keeping it in its form with just uh, different takes on how to present these characters or what's the little twist we learned with the 2004, they're actually going to tunnel from the basement as opposed to plan a High somewhere else, uh, including her or not. It, it, it does kind of fit, like, because it's a special story that you could redo it again, and it would feel different, and those who had seen the originals would then, I think your experience is bolstered. Uh, like I said, this is very infrequent for me to watch our subject movie more than once. And then to watch a second movie as part of the preparation, but it you felt are right for head. this. Nobody bent your arm on that one. <laughs> no, you didn't have to.
1: I do love that idea. Like every comedian ha- has their own version of the aristocrats. Right. so <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Just let all these comedy teams ham it up. I'm all for broken lizard. Get some team ramrod. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's great. It doesn't have to be perennial, but yeah, I, I would ex- appreciate every five, ten years. Somebody else does something absolute. Well, Monty Python. Now like for something completely different. the
2: Lady Killers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love that.
0: I, I really like this idea. I mean, I do think this could be remade again, and, and I don't think it would be bad. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I mean, I, I think I've, I'm a little hard on the Coens one. I, I maintain Katie Johnson is so good in this you know, that's where the other movie missed its mark so much. The grandmother character. Oh, I loved her. She's so strong. She intimidates everybody else physically. She slaps one of them around physically. Like, and she's like, like cutting him off, not letting him finish their sounds. Like Tom Hanks is afraid of her. And there's this wrath and like, you know, there's this big, strong kind of personality that comes with her. I think the little tiny old lady, just simply holding her manners. She has no physical advantage whatsoever in this situation. I find that this is so much more enjoyable.
2: You know what? It's it, it's the power of British manners is greater than physical force or strong personality. You know, it brings me back to uh, you. You ask a public opinion poll as to people walking around in the streets, and then our American police force strapped with guns. You compare that to you know this was gosh fifteen years ago. You compare that to. Are British cities where you've got British bobbies with just nightsticks at the time, and you ask public opinion who's more respected? It's not the ones with the guns, it's the ones with the nightstick. That is a good point. It's the idea that, like, that is the presence that's keeping them in check, not getting slapped around. Instead, it's, and and I, I actually, you know, and I am a Coen Brothers fan, and I do like the 2004 version. I like how different it is, but you, you are absolutely right. She's got more of a almost terrifying presence. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> but... I mean,
1: it's, it's the cultures.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. Sorry. Any thoughts on the music here? I mean, they
1: revisit that minuet quite a bit. I thought that was, it's a fun kind of waiting room-esque minuet. It's comedic when, they're, when she's listening to it. It's comedic when the, when the birds are getting into it.
0: It does seem like it's too good. Uh, the I assure
2: you through. we are amateur.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's thought through of everything. How have you not gotten a vinyl recording of some high school ensemble like struggling with this as opposed to something that's first rate? And then of right. course she, she draws more attention. It draws you more attention. You know, you're you're almost better to be bad
1: the subtleties of the cello like she'd never heard before.
2: Yeah. She does use some terms, you know, she says uh, your performance of that andante section was maybe the most passionate I'd heard, or she says something, Oh, your performance of the pizzicato. You know, yeah. th- these are things that certainly for those characters is going above their heads.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Like they didn't realize that they stepped in it. Like this woman knows what she's talking about and I don't. And that is really funny to see them struggle with that, especially one round. Like,
1: I just picked it
0: up. up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. You guys ready to hand out some superlatives?
2: Righto. Righto, sir.
0: Dustin, who's your MVP?
2: Katie Johnson. I don't don't know if there was uh, any other tipped hand there. She Knocks It Out of the Park is that type of character, a unique type of character to best our five criminals. Everything around the writing of the character is great, and I don't know anything else she's ever been in, but uh, she knocks it out of the park. Well done.
0: Yeah. I mean, Chad, how about you? MVP.
1: Same here. Even though I was really looking forward to her getting whacked very early on, she grew on me. So I grew to like her quite a bit.
0: I am right in tune with both of you guys. MVP here is Mrs. Wilberforce, Miss Katie Johnson. I loved seeing her caught up in the world of all these scoundrels with her disapproving way that made them all feel guilty. I love to see them continually trying to lie to her. And just pivoting off of one lie to another, all of that was very funny. She's the axle of the wheel; like everything plays off of her in this one. And it's even funny when she even starts to use their terms. When she goes to answer the door and she starts to repeat them, so directly, it's like you can't come in my house without a warrant. Now buzz off! Like she's so nervous and stuff. Uh, You know, I'm keeping it buttoned up. Like I, I really like her slipping into their terms, like as she's entered into this, and it's it's just so funny. She's very funny. Best supporting actor, of which there are many to choose from here.
2: Dustin, I'm going to go with it was kind of difficult actually. I I would have gone Alec Guinness because I consider Katie Johnson our star, That's but great. I I I think Cecil Parker as a Major Courtney only because he has so much interaction with her specifically. So. It's almost like he got the benefit of interacting with Katie Johnson, but I'm not exactly sure why his does stand out, but his character, he, he is the one that draws the first short lot, I believe. Yes. And I think as an audience, you're thinking, oh, he's the one that would be worst to pick it. Maybe that he gets that benefit. But uh, yeah, we're going to go with Cecil Parker.
0: Okay, absolutely. And Chad, how about you? Best supporting?
1: I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan, so I have to pick Danny Green.
2: I love it, dude. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I almost did it at the top of the show.
1: There's like three people that will get that joke, but uh, (laughs) he plays one round. Uh, The character's really simple, but he's so sweet and protective of Mrs. Wilberforce, and I really like that for his personality trait, this gentle giant.
0: Got a good three-point game to go with that cello playing there. Yes. Yeah, you nailed it. That's my pick, too. Danny Green is so great. His physical acting is great. I love it when his cello gets stuck in the door with the strap and, you know, he just kind of tugs at it a little bit, like (laughs) looks back helplessly. He plays dim-witted so well. In the American version, there's another equivalent of him called Lump, and he's too stupid to be funny. He ends up becoming a throwaway character because he's so stupid. Danny Green gets all of the things that makes you like him. You like him immediately. He's the most likable guy of all these scoundrels. He doesn't have a lot. Of course he's fallen into this. You know, I mean, he's easily manipulated, but at the end of the day, he also has the most morals of any of them. So he's the one who says, we're not killing this old woman. You know, nobody's going to do that. And that's a really nice twist of what, again, this movie starts to pick up all these twists at the end. And I know you said it's too fast, Dustin, but I like that pace, but I like the frenetic pace of like the Marx Brothers and Abbott and Costello, etc. These I like comedy happening very quickly and pivoting in a very chaotic way. That's working for me. Hidden Jim, tighter cast here in terms of that, but Dustin?
2: Well, it is the police and the annoyed superintendent in general. Just the idea that this helps us understand who Ms. Wilberforce is, yeah. and I said, I said on the show, I was really wanting a little like off-screen like eye roll or just just the idea of people being exasperated for having to deal with the prim and proper, and we know that that's how our police would feel too. Like, oh, here she comes again. So I, I thought that was that was well done, and it, it, maybe it doesn't fit into underappreciated because I think we all appreciate it. That's fair.
1: Like a Laurie and Fry sketch. Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry of Old Woman comes in talking about spaceships. Yes, ma'am. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Chad, hidden gem.
1: We've talked a lot about parrots, so this is truly going to be a hidden gem. It's the cockatoo. And the cockatoo does a little dance to Baccarini's minuet. That is incredible. I enjoyed it.
0: Nobody's picking the trains. I, 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 the trains are great in this at the end. So, but I have to pick the house. I, I've talked about it a lot already. I, I love the crookedness, the skewed nature of it, the character that it brings into this. And, of course, the, the photograph of Alec Guinness from another Ealing Studios picture in there, the Kind Hearts and Coronets picture of him, the naval officer, suit. There's so many things hitting the pipes with the mallet. The house is great. Recast. If you could recast somebody and put somebody in their place, who would it be? Dustin.
2: It took me forever to try to figure out who 50s British actors were it but wasn't. then then I was given an out which is that one of the characters is foreign. So we're going to go with Peter Laurie as Louis. Uh,
1: mm. They actually
2: already look alike. I like that. So that's okay. that's I I think that he could bring a maybe a little more of a of a of an interesting menace to that character. Nice. Chad recast.
1: We talked about mine because I started this with Eric Idle who plays uh, Robin and Monty Python's Holy Grail. I liked him in for Peter Sellers. I thought he'd be funnier. But then I'm thinking, you know what? I think I just want to bring in the entire Python crew here. Get Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Michael Palin, Eric Idle, all of them, and just let them go ham on this film.
0: Do you have a one to one insertion? Yeah, for them? it was
1: Eric Idle for Peter Sellers. Now the ages don't match, but.
0: Yes, but who would you use for the other ones? Like, where would you use Graham Chapman, for instance? Would that be the major?
1: No, I think I'm going to stick Graham Chapman in the professor role.
0: I actually went Cleese for my recast, which is why I'm saying that. But for Alec Guinness's role, I think John oh. Cleese would, would, would kill it in that.
1: Cleese is so tall, I think I'm sticking him as one round. I think it'd be funny for him to just be, to play. He usually plays these hyper-intelligent characters. I just want him to play a very simple
0: character.
2: He's a good makeup artist away from being Lurch. Like, it, you could make that work.
1: He's massive.
0: I like the idea of uh, Michael Palin doing the Peter Sellers role.
1: Okay. Yeah, he would work too. All of them are great. I mean, you could...
0: You, you don't could have anybody change. large enough to really be a one-round. I guess you have to recruit a football player or something like that to, to do that part. But yeah. Who are you
1: recasting, Russell? Re-
0: I, uh, Alec, Alec Guinness with John Cleese would be my pick. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I got in a similar line of thinking. That's you, Chad.
2: Could we get Richard Keel in there for one round?
0: Oh, oh, yeah.
1: Jaws, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will never object to sticking Jaws <laughs> in literally anything. It could be when Harry met Sally. Like, just,
0: And I'll see you in the parking lot after. <laughs> Great. Best shot, Chad. There's this
1: over-the-shoulder shot from Mrs. Wilberforce as the criminals. They've stopped their car, and they're heading back towards the house, just knowing that the jig's up. And it's actually a very tense, menacing shot. It's a very good, slow shot. So
0: Great. Dustin, how about you? A shot. Uh,
2: I had two until I realized they came back to one of them several times. The first time you see them holding the legs waiting for the train to come, was yeah. so funny. But then they do it a bunch, and I'm like, okay, I mean, it's still good. So I went back to my, uh, my original best shot, which is a moving shot when Louis takes his knife, flips it out, tosses it at the table, and it gets stuck there. You're thinking that he had just taken the knife maybe to be like, this is how I'll get rid of Mrs. Wilberforce. And then instead, very coolly, by the way, he takes the matchsticks and snaps the one to make it the short straw. And then we get a shot of his fingers holding it to where you can actually see which one is the short straw, or the, sorry, the short match. But based on the camera angle, the characters cannot. And I thought that was like masterclass level, how to do non-traditional shots. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so th- that, that one, I think, stands out over just the, the comedic holding the legs.
0: That's good. Yeah. And by the way, the Cohen's remake is a pretty movie. Like, the cinematography and the lighting in that one is above the level of the movie, I think. This one, I like the beginning scenes where Alec Guinness is a silhouette in a shape. Yeah. In a very mm-hmm. noir sort of portrayal. This movie sheds that quickly once he comes to the door. But that premonition, that, that sense of foreshadowing that he is a threatening character, he's not as threatening as the build up makes him seem to be. Yeah. But he's every bit as evil. And I like the stylistic way that was handled of showing him in silhouette and following her. I felt scared for her. I, you know, like you said, she was annoying in the police station. Instantly, I was worried for her that quickly. Well, they're
1: playing obviously. menacing music, so yeah. Yeah,
2: you get yeah. the looming tones with yeah. that.
0: These are good shots. I, you know, the train shots are great, I think. So the perspective of looking down on the trains, the smoke coming up at them. I mean, all of that's great
1: your inner 4 year old is coming out right now. You're like, "Yay, trains."
2: Especially trains and trains twice in the last 5 minutes. Yes.
0: There're a lot of trains then. I mean, it's only fitting that there's a lot of trains at the end of this podcast. So. <laughs> All
2: right. I do like the trains better than the boats. That's true. Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we're
0: we're Just making a sentence
2: off. that's forever on the internet. The higher I like the oh, trains transportation. <laughs>
0: Yes. Thank you for joining me, in the four-year-old. Enthusiasm. The Mister Mobartis,
2: you are actually on record saying you like the trains better than the boats. Yes, <laughs> look right. at the context. We were in post-war Britain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chad. Best scene.
1: This is one of the few slapstick scenes, so the phone booth where Louis has to get in. He's trying (laughs) to hear what Major's saying. And then Harry jumps in as well. There are three men in this phone booth. Alec Guinness is at the very bottom trying to hear as the other two are crowded. It's just wonderful.
0: It is. It is good. Dustin, how about your best scene?
2: That was actually my first choice. But I I went with when the whole gaggle of ladies comes over for tea. (laughs) It's uh, as far as like audio (laughs) or audio direction, it's a cacophony of politeness. And it's so funny. And they go in the room, they come back out. And when they go back in, (laughs) the smallest lady tries to take the cello and move it like with her and i'm i did i i laughed out loud i'm like this is great and then when i thought about that happening later i could feel the muscles in my in my face just like smiling it's just, it's so funny to think about like oh they're so excited about these musicians i loved it
0: i like the one that's hard of hearing that won't leave the hallway to vacate in the room and <laughs> she's the only one standing there with her back turned unaware of everybody's left and and then uh you know mrs wilberforce collects her and brings her in the room and when, once they all come back and spill in it's the exact same thing a second time with that unaware woman so very funny my best scene has to be when peter sellers goes to steal the money at this point it, things are really breaking down between them so we've already lost the major and at this point he tried to run off with the money now peter sellers is trying to make a getaway. And watching one round chase after him in the street, but he hasn't actually left the house yet. And then he leaves <laughs> the house, and one round is like way halfway down the block, chasing after him very quickly for a big man. He moves pretty well. And then Peter Sellers is leaving, and then he sees one round is on to him, and he's like, oh, crap. And then it turns into a very hilarious chase scene between the two of them. <laughs> this is great. Even talking about it makes me laugh. Best wardrobe or makeup moment,
2: Dustin? Louis' all-black ensemble, buttoned up all the time, in a suit and tie with the hat. It battens down what you already knew, which is that he's the more dangerous one, but it's also just really slick. In a lot of stuff that doesn't go together, be the guy that wears black. All right, Chad, best wardrobe or makeup moment?
1: Yeah, I'm with Dustin. It makes him seem colder than the others, and I just love that ensemble.
0: So... My pick is going to be the British cop who comes by with the, the tall, rounded British Bobby. Yes. I mean, there's just something so cartoonish about it. And it's not a cartoon. It's a real person. It seems like his mustache. Uh, you're right, Justin. I like your choice of picking him for a hidden gem. That, that, um, that ensemble is just so British. And it's, it's something that's not even meant to be taken as a joke. I can't help but think that's funny. So
2: when you said you're right, Dustin, I thought you were going to say, you're right, Dustin, your choice of facial hair is very good because I have his mustache.
0: No. Oh, that's not exactly what I meant. I meant like picking <laughs> for your hidden gym. but I mean, nice mustache, too, by the way. So uh, <laughs> scarf, by the way, scarf, the scarf honorable on mention, Alec scarf, Guinness, the scarf, scarf on, on Alec Guinness was funny because it kept getting stepped on. He has this ridiculously long, absurdly long scarf and giant baggy jacket on Alec Guinness doesn't gets stepped on multiple times and he keeps politely pulling it out without saying anything <laughs> and getting it stepped on in the getting stuck in the house again as he's trying to make his way out very funny change one thing if you had to change one thing and only one thing dustin what would it be
2: total party kill isn't my favorite here i would have liked maybe one round to make it or for for him to like forge a relationship with a dear old mom no one was supposed to do her like I, i'd love for that to, to last perhaps it doesn't fit like it doesn't fit with what this movie supposed to be so i don't know it, it falls into kind of a could we have gotten more character development i think so but that's okay just because total particle isn't my favorite doesn't mean i didn't like it it's just that that's what i would change i would have maybe one of the people certainly not the leader would not be professor marcus but somebody would it like, can't be uh,
0: peter sellers that wouldn't be good
2: change of heart would have to make would have to be meaningful and so I, I, I'd like to know how that could go, but I, I like it in its form.
0: Louis getting a conscious and turning the money in would be another way to go with that. That'd be cool. You know, like saying like, look, you've killed everybody here. Don't kill me too. I'm going to turn the money in. So,
2: or, Yeah, or, or maybe, uh, you know, they were dumping all the bodies into, onto the train, but maybe like somebody wakes up in the wheelbarrow, you know, that they, they hadn't actually been done in. And maybe that would be Claude, you know, the major. There, there's a bunch of ways it could have gone.
0: I like I like. all of these sound good. Uh, this movie goes all the way dark, so Dustin wants a, a hair less dark. What about you, Chad? What, what's one thing? I know you're having a harder time with this movie. What only one thing will you change?
1: I also want less darkness in my comedy because this is supposed to be a comedy, right? So we, we talked about it. I want the deaths to be funnier. I think I feel less mm. bad seeing them. Talked about Major slipping off the roof. The roof is should be slanted or something or missing shingles. It's a dilapidated house. Slip off the roof. Harry, bump his head. Or, you know, the pipe, spit something out. I don't, I don't care. Just home alone this thing into their deaths.
0: Okay, yeah. And that's, on, that, that's in line with what you're thinking. You would, we would like more of that slapstick injected into here as well. I want a little more planning humor between the thieves. I think that British humor does do well with dialogue-driven heavy, heavy moments, so I would think them debating about how this should be done and perhaps challenging the professor a little bit here and there might be good. And you see how smart he is and as, as he's doing this, but I just think that there's more humor to be mined in the planning stages. And I think, and I alluded to this a little bit, I think the first half of the movie is a tad Drive laughs. It helps once you've seen it a second time and you know that they're the deception and you know where it's all going. It helps. And once you know the characters a little better, I still think that there's more deliberate laughs to be placed in the planning
2: phase, and that would help this movie.
1: That would help define out the personality. So yeah, I'm I'm for
0: it.
2: All right. Best quote, Dustin. Based on the premise that one of the parrots' name is General Gordon. Uh, is I'm not chasing any parrot. I don't care if he's a field marshal. <laughs> Chad, best quote.
1: Marcus, when he's just exhausted after the second death, he just goes,
0: get the wheelbarrow.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. That's good.
0: <laughs> Mine's the professor Marcus line to. It was a great plan, except for the human element. So many plans fail to take into account the human element. Mrs. Wilberforce will always be with us. The whole army couldn't take her out. There were only five of us, and even with 50, 60, or even a whole orchestra. So I, he's, <laughs> as he's becoming unhinged, I like this, this moment in Professor Marcus's performance. So I do like Louise. there's just something about old ladies. I can't stand them. It's, <laughs> it's a very funny stance. So uh, That's in line with your you're thinking there, Chad. You said you wanted to have her whacked. Yes. We've come full circle. And this is the time to give this a rating on a scale of five stars, half star intervals. Dustin, what would you give Lady Killers from 1955?
2: Three stars. I do think it accomplishes what it's supposed to do. And I watched it twice, and I watched its remake, which I also like. I, this is the most likable three-star movie I had. I, I was trying to give, it, to give it more like star accolades. But there was something about like, it is unique and something special, but I just, I just think it's a, a bit too high to be number 13 on anybody's lists. So I don't know. It, it's hard for me to, to give it more props and keep it where I accurately think it should be, which is three stars. I, I do like the remake better, but you guys know me. I'm a Cohen
1: If 13 is too high, to paraphrase Monty Python, five is right out.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Chad, what are you going to rate this movie?
1: I went two and a half. I wrote, "It's fun, I guess." Like that's that's how I feel about this movie. I I guess it's fun. I just I didn't think it was very funny, and I expect more from my British comedies. We went back to a similar time frame with Pink Panther. Pink Panther is hilarious.
0: That is five years later for Peter Sellers.
1: Okay, but. They had the capability to be funny five years earlier, and they chose not to.
0: I'm saying Peter Sellers matured into a much funnier person in that time. Correct,
1: but you can make a funnier script. Like, Peter Sellers is not the problem with this movie. No. It's flat characters, unmemorable dialogue, and not that funny.
0: It's fair. And I, I'm closer to where Dustin is. I, when you said it's the most enjoyable three stars I can have, that's why I gave it 3.5. I there am,
2: go.
0: I think that it is a 3.5. It is enjoyable. I don't believe that I will remember it highly. I would watch it again. I'd be happy to show it to somebody. If somebody said I like British humor, or I don't know what British humor is really, this is one of the ones I would point them to. It is distinctly different, and I don't necessarily think Monty Python is always what you say for British humor because it is very extreme. It's very outlandish. This British politeness is in here, and I'm glad we did it because it extended my reach for comedy. It was my favorite genre, so this is a different brand of it, and I enjoyed checking it out i really enjoyed talking about it with you guys hard to do in your own dealer's choice to 3.5 your own thing but i did it to
2: myself no dealer's choices are meant for experimentation <laughs> yes
1: the, the, with the king of new york where everyone's just like ooh, two, yeah two-ish.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right that was a dealer's choice okay uh-huh, it was mine. I, I, I guess i feel a little better then, but yeah i mean
1: i yeah. like the experimental i mean l- last year you had two dealer's choices that were five stars i don't expect I have not become so spoiled that I'm like Russell. You will serve me five-star movies, and they will be in my top 100 every time. (laughs) Sometimes you've got to give me this.
0: At least I gave you a menu, and you picked from it, so you helped. helped No, Dustin picked from it. Oh, that's that's true. You were fast. That's right. Dustin, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time?
2: That's right. It's 2024, which means our superhero movies are retro nowadays. I've got three movies here. We're going to start with From 2003, X-2. When anti-mutant Colonel William Stryker kidnaps Professor X and attacks his school, the X-Men must ally with their archenemy Magneto to stop him. Option number two, Thor. From 2011, the powerful but arrogant god Thor is cast out of Asgard to live amongst humans in Midgard, where he soon becomes one of their finest defenders. Or option number three from 2008, the Incredible Hulk. Bruce Banner, a scientist on the run from the U.S. government, must find a cure for the monster he turns into whenever he loses his temper. What's it going to be? Hmm.
0: We did X-Men oh so long ago, so why don't we follow it up with X2?
2: I'm so happy you picked that.
1: Everyone at the podcast is thrilled you picked that
2: one. I'm so happy you didn't pick Thor. I'm so happy you didn't pick The Incredible Hulk, Right.
1: My wife is upset you didn't pick Thor, but not for movie related. <laughs> not
2: for the movie. Yeah. Really, X two is good. You I'm go excited. Back and
0: watch, if you go back and watch the original Thor, it's really much better than Thor two. Why I would you do that them, when you could watch X two? Seems like you don't like Thor very much. I'm saying, I'm guessing some of that's from the bad sequel.
1: Thor two is by far the worst.
2: Is that the Dark World? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. that one's bad. Yeah, yes.
0: I don't think the first one's that bad. And then obviously, Ragnarok's actually a whole lot of fun.
2: Yes, it is. Yes, it's very fun. Thank we don't know anything about that. They're not re- retro movies. <laughs> those We're, don't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't know about those.
0: Thank you, all the Lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable for joining us. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at, and Twitter at, at movie underscore retro emails at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com and producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free, so we invite you to support our show at our Patreon page at www.patreon or slash retromovieroundtable all contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners as always, thank you for listening be good to each other, and watch more movies Dustin
1: that's no moon